couple weeks, we're going to be focusing on prayer. And uh, as, prayer, as uh, Pastor Ron has said on so many occasions, and it is his desire, it is my desire as well, that we develop a culture of prayer, that we develop such a prayer life in and among this congregation, we begin to realize and recognize the power and the authority of prayer. Amen? There's only one thing channeling between heaven and earth. It's the prayers of the saints. That's what's bringing the will of God into the earth. And so we've got to step up our game. How many of you know that? Amen? We've really got to get serious about prayer. So tonight what I want to share with you are six hindrances to prayer so that we can avoid them. Six hindrances to prayer. Let's begin. Father, we ask you to minister by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the, the uh, function of your word to change and to transform our lives, God. Teach us tonight so that we will begin to pray with fervency and power. Amen. Now let's take a look at six hindrances to prayer. Um, I want to begin with the passage in James, James chapter 5. Would you turn to James 5, please? We're going to start at verse 15. I only put one of the verses up there. But we're going to start at James 5, verse 15, because I want you to get the full context of what James is trying to tell us about prayer. He says this, And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed any sins, he'll be forgiven. That's a fascinating verse. Now, that's the verse we called you up for on Sunday. When we had communion, we said, If there are any sick among you, to call the elders, just what James is saying here in James 5, uh, verse 13, any of you suffering, let him pray. Uh, if anyone's cheerful, let him sing praise. Anyone's sick, let them call the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. That's what we did. You just heard an, a testimony by Eric that as he followed through with that, got anointed with oil, came forward, elders laid hand, prayed the prayer of faith, a deacon declared that healing. As he walked back to his seat before he got back there, he was healed instantaneously. So that's an amazing verse, wouldn't you say? Now, what's interesting about this verse is he couples the forgiveness of sins with healing. And so both of that comes from the very tree of the cross that Jesus Christ carried our sickness and our disease as well as our infirmities and sin upon him and so when he was crucified he brought new covenant relationships so that we could be blessed not only forgiven of our sins but also healed in our bodies now that's what that's an effective prayer wouldn't you agree how many of you want someone to pray how many of you want to find out what deacon prayed for eric because you want to stand in that line <laughs> it's, you don't need that deacon, you just need Jesus to, to do that, right? But we get that way sometimes. All right, now we go to verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Here we go. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Then he goes on to tell us about Elijah, a man with like passions, same as ours, he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it didn't rain. Then he prayed again, and it began to rain, and the earth bore fruit. So he's saying, Elijah's just like us. You're like him. You pray. Have faith praying. So I want to unpack this verse, James 5, 17. I like the King James. I memorized it in King James, so 
Uh, bear with me. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's a good prayer. That's what James was saying. The effective fervent prayer of a, might, a righteous man will avail much, will do a lot. All right, well, let's, let's break this down. Let's take the qualifying words out of this and let's just say, see what it says. It says, the prayers of a person avail. That's the basis of the verse, right? The prayers of somebody will avail. In other words, if you pray, it will have an answer. God will answer. So the prayers of a person avail. That's stripping this thing down to just the root sentence. You pray, you'll get an answer. Does that make sense? Now, he puts qualifiers in this verse, and he says this. He says, the effectual fervent prayers. So we know prayer will cause an answer, but he says something else. If your prayer becomes effectual and fervent, in other words, what does fervency mean? You help me out. Fertile, produce. produce, fervent, intense, yeah, very good, zealous, we get, a, we get a word when we're sick, we take our temperature because we have a fever, fervent, hot, intense, zealous, intense, effectual, if someone's effectual or effective, they're hitting the mark, aren't they? The effectual, passionate prayer. All right, so we got to turn the heat up on our prayer life, right? It's not just like, Jesus, could you help, uh, uh, yeah, Joe, yeah, he's got cancer, help him. Right? I mean, we, we pray like that sometimes. We do. We're tired, this and that. And, I'm, and we're not condemning tonight. We're learning, okay? So he's saying, come on, turn the heat up. I know prayer avails, but can, I, can we go to much more? How many of you want much more? How many of you want an upgrade on your prayer life? I mean, how many of you want answers? I don't want to just, you know, Jesus, now I lay me down to sleep. Right? Come on. So he says it's got to be hot, fervent, zealous, and effective. You're going after this thing. The effectual fervent prayer of, and he qualifies it again, a righteous man. This isn't just anybody now. He said someone that is in right relationship with God. Someone who's walking out, living a real Christian life. Right? God is good. God is great. Thank you for this food. Amen. That, that's a good prayer. But let's get into a place where the righteous are as bold as lions. And they begin to shake the heavenlies. Because they know they're in right standing with God. What puts you in right standing with God? blood of Jesus and obedience. obedience, right? We know that the blood of Jesus cleanses us, but now we're walking it out. We're living it out, and we're right with God. There's power in that. So I want to be effective. I want to be fervent, passionate, and I, as I'm walking right with God, then what's going to happen to my prayers? It's going to what? Avail what? Much. Mucho. I want much answer to my prayer. I don't want a squeaky answer coming from heaven. I want the power of God to come down. Praise God. Amen? So, we qualify this. He says, first of all, we know 
Prayers of people avail. Prayers avail. We know that. But he says there's an upgrade to this. We can get more out of prayer if we will be fervent and passionate and live right for Christ. We will get much more than what we bargained for. Unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we even ask or could imagine according to the power that's at work in us. You see, there's a will from heaven that has all power. And there's a fervency in us that wants something accomplished. Boiling up in us, it begins to speak out in our prayer life to avail much. Do you think this country needs prayer that avails much? Is there enough sickness and disease around your family and life that you need to avail much in answers? Yes. So we've got to press in. We've got to press in. So, I say this. Therefore, if the basis of this is prayers will avail, and then he qualifies them and says, the fervent prayers, effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man will avail much. It qualifies it this way. You can qualify this thing the other way too and say some prayers don't avail at all. Why? And that's what I'm going to talk to you about. There are six hindrances to a prayer life. And so why sometimes do our prayers not avail? Let's take a look at that so we can get to work on that. Does that make sense to you? Good. What is a hindrance? A hindrance is a thing that provides resistance, delay, or an obstruction to something. So I'm going to go over six things that hinder or resist or delay the work of answering prayer. Okay? So we can avoid those things, overcome those hindrances, and have more fervent, effectual prayer that avails much. You with me? I want that. Amen. Let's start with the first one. Spiritual hindrances, Satan. Now, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again would have come, but Satan did what? Hindered us. Paul had the will and the desire to get to Thessalonica, but he couldn't get there because Satan was hindering him. Can Satan defeat God and God's will? Absolutely not. But he can hinder our efforts and abilities. God will come through, but there are hindrances, and the devil can bring hindrances. I'm reminded of Daniel chapter 10. Uh, You may remember this story where Daniel prays And there's no answer. He's praying, he's fasting, seeking God. There's no answers. Five days. God, oh Lord, I need you. Ten days. He's praying, he's praying. Fifteen days. He's fasting, he's getting weak, he's seeking God. He knows he's in covenant with the God, Jehovah, but there's no answer. Twenty days. He's about to give up. My goodness. Twenty-one days. And an angel breaks through. Boof! the angel man he's all tattered and and torn and i'm making that part up but i gotta add to it and he's just sweating and he goes whoo daniel (laughs) goes oh angel of the lord and he said daniel god heard your prayer 
the moment you prayed it and released me to answer your prayer. But I was in warfare with the prince of Persia and I couldn't get through. Now, what's he talking about? A prince or is a principality. There was a demonic authority over the nation of Persia, right? Uh, the Medes and the Persians were in control of Babylon at that time. That's where Daniel was. And there's this demonic force over Persia because it's, it's a secular demonic uh, uh, authority of a nation. And as it's trying to keep God from penetrating and interrupting, God sends the angel. The angel goes. The word angel means messenger. He's bringing the answer and the message to Daniel, but this demon spirit is fighting him. Finally, it says, after 21 days, the angel says, come on, Michael! Michael comes down, the warring angel over Israel, and just lets this demon have it. It Just boom! I don't know what he did, but he just annihilated him. And this angel finally gets to Daniel. So out of that, and then he says, look at here's the message, here's the information, this is what God wanted you to know, now i got to go back and get ready to fight the prince of Greece. Because that's the next nation that was about to take over the Medes and the Persians. And so as he goes back to war in the heavenlies. So what this gives us a glimpse into, and as Paul said, Satan can hinder what God is trying to accomplish in the earth. What can we do? But now, that's an Old Testament example. That's important to know because God doesn't need to send an angel anymore to give you a response, does he? Because since Christ died on the cross, cleansed you from your sins, his spirit can now dwell in you, so immediately you've got direct communication with God. He doesn't need to send an angel and have it interrupted by some demon spirit. The Holy Spirit's right inside you and can give you directives and words immediately. But it still gives us insight that the demonic wants to hinder the will of God. So if he can't stop the communication, he's going to try to hinder you by your own hindrances. That makes sense? To find your, if you will, Achilles heel in prayer. To f- distract you. To have you more involved in other things. To keep the fervency away from you. And to make sure you're hindered in your prayer life. Though he cannot take any in- information between you and God away, he can try to get you either confused or fearful or double-minded or focused on something else. So we need to look at the other five to realize what our hindrances are so that we're not duped by an enemy anymore. Right? Distraction is what the enemy does to keep us from praying. So let's take a look at another one. Besetting sin. Besetting sin. Listen to Psalm 66. Depends on what translation you have. I'm quoting the ESV, the English Standard Version. Another version says, If I had considered iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That's, who else? What's another translation? If I had what concerning iniquity? Somebody got another translation? Psalm 66, 18. Check that out. If I would have considered iniquity in my heart, if I would have... What's that? What's that? 
What's yours? Let's hear it. Okay, if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I cherish, yes. So if I consider, if I regard, what do you have? Harbor, okay. So the better translation is cherish or harbor because consider or, what did you have, Tony? Regard. Regard is just like a thought. If I regard, the 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 uh, Hebrew word for this is raw, and raw means to gaze upon intently, to observe, to to learn about it, to approve it, to want it. And so, if I cherish iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord will not listen to me. Here's a better maybe phrase you would know my precious if you've not watched lord of the rings you have no clue what we're talking about my precious you you want this thing now that's what we're talking about so psalmist is saying if we cherish sin that's going to hinder our prayer life god's not going to be listening you know why mostly because we're so focused on our sin our unrighteousness now will god now this is important though you've got to because some of you are thinking like man i got sin in my life god's never going to hear my prayer he heard your prayer when you cried out as a sinner right and there isn't anybody in here without sin or you'd be calling god a liar we all got something to deal with there's a difference in the wording of this though that's why i pointed out that word if i cherish sin if I examine, if I hold it dear. In other words, it's a besetting sin. You're a believer, but you are actually so distracted by a particular sin. That's going to hinder your prayer life. How many of you know that? Can I, how, how, what are a couple reasons why, why do you think that would hinder your prayer life? Disobedience? It's unholy? Idle? An idol. Yep. And you're putting that sin there. Yeah. And then what happens if you feel real bad about it? Usually won't, won't pray because you don't go to the Father. You feel condemned and guilty. I got this issue. I got to get... You see the trip up here in prayer? And it is. It becomes even the sin. I, if I cherish sin in my heart... I mean, even David writes this and... and he was looking at Bathsheba taking a bath. I don't know how many nights he's watching this, this chick take a bath. So he's cherished. He's going, ooh, mama. i got to invite her over to my house. This guy had it planned out. Now, did he cherish God or did he cherish her? Right? So how is God going to get through in communication to you when you're not paying attention to him? Stop it. Okay, so besetting sins, we've, we've got to work with that. So maybe some of us in some of our lives, some activities, you stumble into sin, you fall into sin, but it entices you. You feel bad about it, but in reality, somebody wake up tonight and realize you're cherishing it. It's an idol. You like it. You don't hate it. That's why David said, I must come to a place of hating my sin. All right? When he considered his sin... He, when, how many of you remember what he wanted to do to the, to the uh, um, Philistines? 
He hated the Philistines so much, he said, God, take their babies and smash their brains out on the rocks. Nice guy. But do you see what he's saying? In the physical, what he's speaking of in the spiritual, we don't want the beginning of sin to even bud. We don't want the embryo of sin. We don't want a baby of that sin to come into my life. I fought it. I fought against it. I want to smash it against the rocks. I don't want it anymore, God. I hate my sin. At the first hint of sin, I want to kill it. Because I don't want hindrance to come between me and my God. Now, God can overcome any sin. The problem is on our part. The shame, the guilt, the condemnation. We're not listening. All right? So don't get the idea that God's not going to, if there's a besetting sin and you failed him, he's never going to hear you. He'll hear you. But you've got to get rid of that thing so you can begin to communicate and listen. Does that make sense? It's a hindrance. So the enemy, guess what the enemy's going to do? Put that sin in your face as often as he can. So you've got to walk uprightly and stay away from it. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. In other words, if you're not walking, don't tell me you're a believer, but you're not reading the Word. Don't tell me you're a follower of Jesus, but you don't know His voice. How are you following Him if you can't hear it? So we've got to hear his voice. We've got to get this thing over. He gave us power over sin. That we would be dead to sin. That's how much it would hit us and it would go like, it's disgusting. Get it off me. And move on. Right? All right, another hindrance to sin is this. Dishonor in relationships. I found this fascinating. We'll start with marriage, husbands and wives says this in 1 Peter, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, the context of that in the Greek is learn her. Go to school. If your wife's name is Sarah, go to Sarah University. Get a degree in Sarah. So learn her with understanding. Now, ladies, you would do the same thing, okay? We need to learn each other and grow in that. But then he goes on, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you. That's a co-equal, an heir of salvation. She may be the weaker vessel in the sense of her physical stature or in the culture or whatever, because she's raising children, whatever the issue is concerning the weakness, but she is equal in the stature of salvation. So give her honor. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, why? So that your prayers may not be what? Hindered. The key to this is a disgruntled marriage, a disgruntled union between a husband and a wife. He says the man should honor his wife or your prayers will be hindered. So, What's going on here? He says, honor her as an equal in salvation, as joint heirs in Christ. Honor her. Now, I found it interesting as I began to consider this, you have a covenant vow with this person. Covenant vow. This is the greatest vow you will ever take on planet Earth between you and your mate, your wife, or your husband. And if you cannot honor that vow, how can you pray 
through the covenant vow of God. If you own honor vows, is God wants to honor vows, but you're not honoring the vow that he wants you to honor to love your wife. Does this make sense? If your vow in covenant to God, which you said before God and man, you're not honoring it, then you're not going to be in communication. You're going to hinder the relationship and your prayers are hindered. Does that make sense? So it's an issue of honoring your covenant. And I began to think, hey, yeah, wait a minute. Honor your mother and father. Right? Honor those in authority. This is interesting. There's so much about those that you're in relationship with, you are to honor. And if you don't honor the authority structures in your life, then it will become a hindrance in your prayer life. Because ultimately, if you can't honor the one you're in covenant with, if you can't honor the one who gave you life, mother and father, if you can't honor the one who has authority over you as a boss or a leader, how will you really honor the ultimate authority, God? There's something wrong in here. There's a heart issue. Does that make sense to you? So in your prayer life, there's something deep in here that has an issue with authority. And that'll hinder you. How many of you had rebellious attitudes as a young person? Still do. Okay. That carries with you, doesn't it? And, and we were brought up with a dynamic in our life, whether it was from a parent or a teacher or a person. We might have been hurt and abused. We might have whatever. And it set and locked in attitudes in the soul. But there's a power greater than that, which is the liberty of Christ, the Holy Spirit, that can bring healing. But he's got to get into those places of healing. And so before those places are even healed, you may find that you have issues with authority. And the kingdom's all about obedience and authority. And so if we don't honor God, how do you begin to honor God? Begin to honor the things you're involved with. Begin to honor your covenant relationships. Begin to honor those in authority. When you get that aligned, now your prayer life can beef up in authority and power because you understand your submission to the ultimate authority. I hope this is making sense to you. It makes sense to me, and I kind of am excited about it. <laughs> Let's go on. I find it interesting that our prayer life is directly related to people and relationships. Jesus says this in Matthew 5. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Right? God says, you know what? Don't spend your time praying to me if you can't get your relationships right. That's interesting, isn't it? Again, honoring relationships has a lot to do because ultimately it reflects here. Let's not fool ourselves. You know, God, I hate that person. They annoy me so much. They're such an idiot. You see how evil they are and such liars. Father, would you, oh God, give me the grace to... Really? How many... We do this all the time. Come on. Don't we? Now, let's finish this verse out and see how it sits. He says this, 
if you know they have something against you, so the one here that's accused is you, leave your gift, go to the altar, get reconciled. Look at verse 25. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and put you in prison. That's the context of the saying. So it would tell us that that person was actually guilty of what they were being accused of. Do you get it? See, we, we pick verses and we read them just so far. But he says, you know, it's not just a matter of you know they have something against you. They have something against you and you're guilty. You know you're guilty. You know you did do it. Right? That's what he's saying. Because agree with him unless he turns you over to the judge and the judge convicts you and puts you in jail and you're in trouble. So you're guilty. So you know what? Say you're sorry. Change your mind. Repent of this thing. Get it right. And so relationships, rights and wrongs between people, honoring one another. If you offended someone, honor them and ask for forgiveness. All of this has a lot to do with your prayers being hindered. Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thought that? I thought it was just all about my faith. Jesus, I can treat people the way I want. I can have all sorts of issues, not all that, but my faith is strong in God. He's such a loving, good God. You've got to remember the Hebrew mindset. If you say you believe something, that means you live it. None of this contradiction of believing one thing. God's grace is so good. He's forgiven me. He loves me. He pours it out, and you don't show any of it to anybody else then you don't understand what you got. And that is not it. We've got to have the same amount of actual faith living and moving in our life as we do to pray it. Or it'll be hindered. Let's go on to number four. Unforgiveness. This is all about grace and law. Listen to what Peter asked Jesus. He said, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? How about seven times? That's awesome. I would think that's enough. We can only tolerate it that many times. And Jesus says this, I tell you, 70 times seven. Seven is the number of perfection. Peter thought he was doing pretty good at seven. And Jesus just amps it up using an eternal figure. 70 times seven is basically saying for all eternity, as long as you live, you forgive people. Why? Anybody? 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 Yeah. How many sins has he forgiven of us? And even the ones yet to come. I mean, that's grace, isn't it? So here is the huge hindrance in our lives to our prayer life if we don't act out that same grace that was given to us towards others. Jesus goes right into a parable from there about the servant who owed money and the king gave him grace and said, all right, I'll pardon it. And the guy went out and then smashed someone in the face who owed him a thousand bucks and put him in jail because he had no money for it. Once the king heard about that, he says, come on, are you kidding me? I showed you grace and you can't show that same grace? It's the same with us. And I've shared this with you over and over and I'll keep sharing it with you over and over and over. We celebrated communion on Sunday. 
That meal is, again, as I told you, it's a reset button for you to recalibrate and recognize I've been forgiven for Christ's sake. Therefore, I must forgive others. Okay? Or my prayers will be hindered. How many of you realized that hindrances to prayers have so much to do with your relationships with people? I'll be honest with you. I didn't. I didn't realize this till today. As I'm studying it, I'm going, hmm, there's a common denominator here. Me and people. What's that got to do with me and you, Lord? Remember, you're my personal Savior. It's just me and you. He's going, no, 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 no. You represent me to everyone. You're praying for other people. And how can you pray my will uh, of healing on this person when you're damaging someone else with your mouth? Is that a contradiction? Does God want to work in contradictions? No. So there's a lot of hindrances there. So what I'm learning and I'm feeding unto you, maybe you already all knew this and you're going like, oh, come on, Pastor, let's get past this. All right, well, sorry. I'm, maybe I have training wheels on, but I'm learning. I had no idea it had so much to do with my interpersonal relationships with people. Because relationship is relationship. Basically, how I treat others is what I consider my father treating me. And so i got to get this right. I need to forgive. Look at what happens. If you don't forgive someone else but hold them to the law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you hurt me, I want you hurt too. You are opening the door to the enemy. Because he's just a lawyer. He's waiting for the next accident that'll come into your life so he can accuse you of the law. You want to live by the law? Then he'll prosecute you according to that law. Do you want the devil prosecuting you? No. I've got an advocate with the Father who will stand in my defense. Well, the advocate's saying, I'll stand with you, pal, but how about you uh, do what's right? Forgive me if I'm misspeaking for you, Lord, <laughs> but I think that's what you would say. Paul says this, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Why are you forgiven? Because you are awesome. You are attractive. You are well-built. You are so intelligent. Your radiant personality, God had to forgive you to get you in heaven, man. The real, only reason you and I are forgiven is for Christ's sake. Christ paid the price for us because he loves us. Christ died for us. The only reason you and I have any right to walk into heaven is because of Christ's sake. No flesh will glory in his sight. No one's going to say, hey, how about that? I did pretty good, didn't I? Oh, no, no, no. We're going to say all glory and honor to Jesus. How could you save a wretch like me? Do you know that there are some churches that have taken that phrase out of amazing grace because they feel it's too offensive? I'm serious. They've taken it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me that's just being honest that's understanding your condition but that could offend people they need to be offended 
They think too highly of themselves. All right, so we forgive because Christ forgave us. You with me? All right, or it'll be a hindrance. Now, I'll move on, but I have to say this. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Who's Paul talking to? <laughs> Christians. You pack people in a room, you got trouble. Jesus got trouble. Tongue-talking, hallelujah, shouting, raising the dead people. I don't care who they are. They'll fight, get angry at each other, be upset. we got to get regrounded back into the Lord. We want our prayers effective. It hinges on how we treat each other. All right, number five, I'm moving on. Promise. Covetousness. Self-consuming. Listen to what James says here. So often we misunderstand this portion of Scripture. What causes quarrels, quarrels, and what causes fights among you? Oh, again, who's he writing to? Christians. Why, why is everybody so amazed when they get offended at church? Haven't you read the Bible? Why is everybody like, I can't believe I've been hurt. I'm never going back to church. You get hurt in the parking lot of Burger King. People flip you off, but you keep going back. <laughs> but in church, they should be better. Well, read the New Testament. They're always fighting and quarreling and fighting. So, like, deal with it. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you. And what God wants to do is turn those passions towards Him for prayer. Your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. What's He mean by murder? You murder with your mouth. You covet because you can't get it. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. There it is again. Idolatry. What's the idol? Self. Instead of God. But we always start that verse with, you have not because you ask not. So just ask and you'll get it. Isn't that what we have? We quote that. And he's like, no, 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 no. You're not getting it because not that you ask. You ask not, but you ask amiss. You ask for the wrong reasons. There's a hindrance in our prayer life because we're not praying the will of God. We're praying the will of Tim. <laughs> All right, the will of Karen. <laughs> Don't we? We do. And so we wonder, God, where are you? You've forsaken me yet again. I would love to hear his responses. I think he's got a good sense of humor. I think he would say, like, really? <laughs> I've forsaken you? Again? Really? You want to go there? No. We ask amiss because we ask what we want and what we covet. And what James is saying is, would you turn your passion of self-interest and self-indulgence and self-desire into a passion for thy will, not mine, be done? Oh, God, we've got to bring healing to this person. God, I beg of you, would you touch their life? They need you desperately. And I'll stay up a little longer to pray till there's a breakthrough for them. 
right? How many of you want people praying for you that way? I could use that. Someone's staying up a little longer to pray for me. Hallelujah. We spend all our time praying for us. All right. All right. Listing the hindrances. Are you getting something out of this? All right. It's idolatry. We're not considering Christ. And then last of all, the last point is this. Bottom line, it's just prayerlessness. We pray less. Eh, whatever. Basically, God, talk to the hand. I'm busy right now. Oh, don't forget to help me get through traffic today, too. You know, what do we pray for? We pray for parking spots. We pray for, pray for good deals. God, give me a good connection so I can buy a, a, get a good price on a car. We pray for all this stuff. Wow. But right now, our, our nation is going to hell, man. It's just going to die. This nation is dying. It's on a ventilator. And the nurses and the doctors are Trump and Hillary. Could you imagine laying on an operating table and you look up and there's Hillary Clinton and, and Trump, Donald Trump and all these political leaders standing around you? As a nation, you'd be going, somebody pray for me. And the church is in the waiting room going like, oh, did you see the Highlights magazine? Yeah, someone already found the fish. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, this is the most obvious hindrance to prayer, not praying. Is that that hard to figure out? And look at, I'm not speaking this as an expert on prayer to a congregation. If there's anything that I have to improve in as a pastor is my prayer life. It needs improving. Please don't, you know, don't look at me and think, you're so close to God. I am no closer than you are. I'm in trouble. If you're in trouble, I'm in trouble. We're all in trouble. We got to pray more. And, and we got to press in. I'm just being honest, right? We can play church. You want to pray church? Play church? I don't want to play church. 1 Samuel. Samuel says this to Israel. He says, Moreover, as for me, be it from, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. That's a leader. He said, If I don't pray for you, I'm sinning against God. Why? Because God put me here to intercede. God put you and your family. God saved you and your family. He put you in your job. He put you on your block. He put you around your relatives because you have an assignment to pray for them. So to not pray for them is to sin against Him. Guilty. Yeah. All right, now I'm not trying to defeat us all and have us weep and wail, though it would do us some good. It really would. But what I'm saying is there are very specific hindrances to our prayer life. So what can we do? What do we need to do? We need to correct that so that our prayers will become fervent and effective. Right? I like what D.L. Moody said. Next to the wonder of seeing my Savior will be, I think, the wonder that I made so little use power of prayer when we get before jesus and we're awestruck of his majesty and his beauty 
And we see our lives unfold and all the lives that could have been touched and things that could have been done and we recognize they weren't on our watch. It wasn't done because we were hindered. So, all right. Let's pray. Bow your heads.